Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So many of us are familiar with the Egyptian plague stories in the book of Exodus, at least on some level, right? Perhaps we're recalling some of the Hollywood productions. You might have uh, Charleston Heston in mind when I talk about Moses or a couple years ago, Ridley Scott made a movie with Christian Bale as, as Moses. Uh, DreamWorks had an animation film when I was a kid called The Prince of Egypt, so on and so on. Sight and Sound Theaters has a production right now, Moses, right? So we, we've seen these stories dramatized. Many of us have. Um, even if we didn't grow up around the Bible, perhaps we... You know, we, we've heard a little bit about the Egyptian plague stories, perhaps. Um, likewise, we might be familiar with the burning bush scene. Now, if you've been tracking with us, we spent the last three weekends in the burning bush uh, sequence there. So um, between the burning bush story and the upcoming plague stories, there's actually a couple things that happen in between. And so today, we are going to take a look at these stories, because these stories inform us that life is wild and weird and wonderful. The Bible is, a, is aware uh, that the human experience, the human experience is a lot of mixture. In today's stories, we're going to see obedience and belief and worship. We're going to see stubbornness. We're going to see things that are unfair, injustice. We'll see confrontation. We'll see people who are unsure of like where God even is. We'll see doubt. A bunch of different things are going to happen here. Now, the Bible doesn't give us every single answer to every single question we have in life. But there is a theme in the Bible that I want to bring your attention to. The Bible has this active call for us to seek or search out, that type of vocabulary, to seek or search out God. Or when we get to Jesus, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, like seek, search, look, draw near. You know, the, the, the Christian life, it doesn't come naturally. And maybe sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. The, the Christian life doesn't come about naturally. Um, Certainly, we have a role to play in your own agency. Um, God wants us to be participants. He wants us to want it, to, to draw near to God. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work inside of us, but certainly God allows us in our free will to have, have a role to play in that. So that what the Bible does is encourages the human readers to, uh, the Bible points us to, to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More specifically, the Bible challenges us to seek out God, to draw near to God, and that when we sincerely seek out God, God will reveal himself. That's what the Bible pushes us towards, that God doesn't want to stay closed up. He, he wants to disclose himself. He wants to reveal himself. In other words, seekers do not stay perpetual seekers. They do become finders. And I believe this, that as we actively wait and look for God, we will see God show up. We will see God work. And so up front here, 
I really want these stories today to strengthen your faith in Jesus by encouraging you to keep looking for the evidence of God in Scripture, in your own life, in your church's life, and so on. Trust that, that God is in your stories. That God is in the stories, like some of these weirder Old Testament stories, like God is in those stories too. And so this is part four of our series through Moses. And we'll see that life is not simple and easy, but that there is a lot going on. The road to freedom isn't paved. And so after couching ourselves in the burning bush uh, story for, for three weeks, we're now going to move a little bit faster. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We'll start in Exodus 4. We'll actually end in the beginning of Exodus 6 today. But to start, Exodus chapter 4, we're going to take a look at verses 18 to 23. And so after the burning bush scene, Moses is finally obeying God. He's, he's willing to go. And so he goes back home. In the, he's in uh, Midian right now, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia. And he asks his father-in-law, hey, is it okay I, I go back to my people? And his father-in-law, named Jethro, says, yeah, I'm cool with that. Go in peace. And then... The narrator gives us an insight to an upcoming story. And so I, I want you to kind of pretend that this is like a movie trailer, okay? We're, we're getting a, a sneak peek here. Moses is going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to say, let my people go. And here's why. Here's the purpose. To worship. God wants to free his people so that in freedom they can worship God. We're told... We're given this insight that Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. He's going to refuse this request. And then we, we hear this warning, this, this language here, that, that a first firstborn's life will be at stake. So this is a preview of coming attractions. There's going to be a showdown, a clashing of kingdoms between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh is going to harden his own heart several times, as we'll find out. But then also, in the last three plagues, and again, this is in a couple weeks, we'll take a look at this. In the last three plagues, it says that God plays a role in hardening Pharaoh's heart. And so already, like, we're going to have to wrestle a little bit that, like, both Pharaoh and God play a role in the hardening of a heart. We have to wrestle with the mixture of, of human freedom and God's sovereignty in the story. But as we do so real quick, I know this might be a lot right now, but like in the Old Testament, the hardening of a heart, that is a form of a judgment, okay? God is not in the business of saying, I don't like you, I don't like you, I'm going to hard your heart, and now I'm going to make you an object of wrath. That's not what God is up to. The hardening of a heart is a way that God will respond to injustice and, and a failure to listen to him. And so we have these two main characters, so to speak, Moses and Pharaoh. Moses was a bit stubborn, but his heart was soft enough to become pliable. Uh, he is now operating in obedience. Obedience will lead to life and deeper expressions of worship. On the other hand, Pharaoh... He's also stubborn, 
that his heart remains hard, it, it gets harder. And we get this hunch that this kind of stubborn, stubbornness will lead to death. But as I said, that is all one big movie trailer, okay? That's a preview of coming attractions. That's all a heads up for now. Lord willing, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But Moses, back to like the, the normalized timeline here. Moses, he's going to take his wife, Zipporah. He's going to take his two sons. He's going to put them on a donkey. And they're making their way back to Egypt. Ah, and don't forget the staff. This time, the narrator calls it the staff of God. How you guys doing? You ready for a, a weird Bible story? All right, next. Next is a weird circumcision story in the Bible. And it's been a while since I've preached on circumcision. Maybe maybe touched on it once or twice in you know the last seven years of preaching here. We don't talk about circumcision much, but here we go. Um, I'll tell you up front, scholars are puzzled by this. It's a quick read. Feels like there's some details missing from the story. But we have to trust that this story would have made sense to the original audience. And so let me tell the story. On their way back to Egypt, they stop at a rest stop. You know, overnight camp, campsite here. And it seems that God intends to kill Moses. All right? We, we assume Moses. It doesn't actually say Moses. We, we kind of translate it uh, to, to say Moses. That's what we're thinking. But we're already confused because we just spent all this time talking about, you know, trying to get Moses to become this, this liberator. Moses is finally moving in obedience. And now we hear this story that God intends, or it's, it kind of seems, like he, he's going to kill Moses. And it's like, all right, what do we know? Something has gone wrong. Something is, is seriously wrong. But then Moses doesn't seem to be an active character in this story. He, he almost seems like he can't do anything right now. And then Zipporah, his wife, Zipporah acts fast. She pulls a knife, not on God, but she pulls out a flint knife and she performs a circumcision. All right. She grabs one of her boys. We're not sure which one. They have two boys. And Cuts off the foreskin. Then throws the foreskin at Moses' feet. Feet, in the Hebrew language, is a euphemism for genitals. And this may or may not help us understand the story. And then she says, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. All right. Who understands the story? Did Zipporah clear anything up here? <laughs> no, her, her statement doesn't seem to help as much, okay? And so let me tell you, like, it would have been nice to just kind of skip over this, this text and go straight to the plague stories. But I felt like, hey, you know what? Like, we don't, we don't, hear, this, we don't hear this story enough. We, we, we need to preach it or, or try to have a conversation about it. We, we need to attempt to look at these Bible stories 
that are a little bit puzzling. Okay, what do we do with strange Bible stories like this? Again, I don't remember this one on the felt board. I don't remember the, the Veggie Tales version of this, this story. So as I said, um, it is confusing to scholars. But I'll, I'll point us in a direction that, that perhaps, you know, you know God, God bless it, maybe, maybe it's a little bit accurate and close. What we know is that Zipporah is not Hebrew. She is Midianite. And clearly, one of the boys is not circumcised yet. Now, Midianites also practice circumcision. But as one resource said, a Midianite male is not circumcised until you're engaged. So it's, it's, you're older in life. Uh, whenever you, you propose to your gal, you know, then you go get circumcised. You, you get ready for marriage in that way. That's what they did in Midianite culture. In, the, in Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew tradition, circumcision, we know, you know from the book of Genesis, is a sign of, a, of the covenant with God. It makes every male a member, you know, it, it's a signpost that says, hey, you belong to the covenant family. A baby is born. Eight days later is circumcision day. Perhaps we have this insight that Moses did not raise his boys, or at least one of them, under the Hebrew tradition. Perhaps he has raised him to be like a Midianite. Moses is on a mission to liberate the covenant people of God, but it almost seems like his, his own household is not in order, so to speak. I'll pause here and, and pivot. I want to share what Old Testament scholar Matt Lynch thinks about this. I think he's on to something here. He compares this story to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Uh, if you know the story, Joshua is, is the leader of, of, the, of the people in that. When we, when we get to Joshua, the book of Joshua. Joshua is standing near Jericho, a city that needs to be conquered. And Joshua sees this angel with a sword drawn standing in front of him. And so he moves a little bit closer and he says, hey, are you for us or against us? Us or them? And the angel commander says, neither. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua falls face down to the ground in reverence and he's, he asks, okay, what, is, what does the Lord have for his servant? That's what any good servant would do, any good soldier would do, right? And the angel commander replies, hey, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And that's a callback to the burning bush scene. Joshua 5 is a whole other story to get into, but to compare Moses and Joshua here, both of these guys are the appointed hero, and they're about to really get into the work that God has for them to do. Both of them are confronted with a potential threat. Okay? In the Moses story, it's, it's very skimpy, but it says that God seems to want to kill Moses. There, there's a potential threat there. You know, an angel with a, a, a sword drawn, a, a potential threat 
perhaps for, for Joshua, God wanted Joshua to learn a lesson. He has to ditch his own categories of us and them and just really learn the significance of it's about Yahweh, it's about his name, it's about his presence. So when we say that God wants all of us, he really means that. And so in short, when we think about Joshua or Moses or any disciple for that matter, it's not about leadership or diplomatic expertise or your station in life. But like the core value is really about who you belong to. These guys belong to God. Moses and Joshua, they had to learn this. As God's leaders, they are not exempt from the dangers of being close to a holy God. Now back to Zipporah. And while there's ancient cultural obscurities here, and there, it seems like there's some details missing. What seems to kind of be coming from the text is that Zipporah understood something and she took action. And when she said, you are a bridegroom or a kinsman of blood to me, those were the right words. So somehow through the circumcision and the blood, by smearing blood on Moses, through the right words, everyone became a covenantal member of the tribe. Following God is always a radical call. In fact, this line of thinking, you know, radically following a dangerous holy God, this line of thinking goes all the way through the New Testament. Like in Matthew 16, for example, when Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So back to Exodus. We'll move on to verse 27. God tells us that God spoke to Aaron. God already said, hey, I want you to go meet your brother in the wilderness. And we considered this last week, if you were here. Aaron was not a plan B. Aaron was always supposed to be a part of this project. So Aaron and Moses, they meet up in the wilderness. Let's fast forward a little bit. There's a gathering of the Hebrew elders. God spoke to Moses. Moses told Aaron what to say. This is the arrangement. So Aaron speaks, performs the signs before the people. They have this family reunion going on. And you know what? The people believed. The people were on board. Things are going well. In fact, this family reunion turned into a worship gathering. They knelt low and they worshiped God. So God, just to do a quick summary, God is going to rescue his covenant family. He has Moses and his brother Aaron as a helper. Moses has the staff of God ready to go. He's, he's ready to do the signs and wonders as needed. He's met up with the people. They're all on board. They caught wind of this imagination that Yahweh is going to free them. Things are going well. Now all they have to do is go talk to Pharaoh. The king of Egypt, this powerhouse, superpower of the world. Yeah, go talk to Pharaoh and ask him to free his entire labor force here. And you know what they did? They did that. Moses and Aaron, they went before Pharaoh. 
The text does not give us any insight of how that works. If you and I wanted to go to Capitol Hill and request time before one of our leaders, I'm sure there's paperwork and emails and phone calls and waiting line. Like, I'm, like that would take a while. I just imagine that would just take a while. You don't just go into the office. But that's how the, the scripture just kind of skips those details. They were able to get an audience with, with Pharaoh. Clashing of kingdoms. God versus Pharaoh. It's ready to begin. So they go to Pharaoh. And they say, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival or worship. May they hold a festival for me in the wilderness. Pharaoh's response. Who is Yahweh? I don't know. I don't know this Yahweh. I don't know him. I'm not letting them go. Like, I'm not letting the people go. Moses and Aaron try again. Okay, Yahweh, he's the God of the Hebrews. He's met with us. Please. We want to go. We're, we want to travel like three days from here. We, we, we want to get out of town, go out into the wilderness so that we can worship God. So that we may sacrifice to the Lord or else he might strike us with plague or sword. We want to go worship. Pharaoh says no. You're going to cause the people to neglect their, their work? We can't stop production. Not today, not now. You can't just remove a big part of the labor force. Don't be silly. <coughs> well, that kind of ended the discussion. Later that day, Pharaoh, he ordered that the whole straw supply be shut off. Okay, you need straw uh, to make the bricks. You, you mix it in with the mud and whatnot. And so um, it seemed like the Egyptians were providing the straw for the brick makers. The Pharaoh was like, you know what? Let them get their own straw. And also, I'm going to have the same quota, quota of bricks you know, required. So as the story goes, the Egyptians, they impose this heavier work on them. It's like, hey, we don't have time to go get straw and make the bricks. Like, we, we just can't do it all. And so some Hebrew representatives, they go in and talk to Pharaoh. And they ask, hey, like, why no straw? Why are you being this way, Pharaoh? Like, come on. We're also being beaten. It, it, life's getting hard. It, it, we, we, cannot, we cannot do this. They're, they're, they're trying to convince Pharaoh that it's not their fault. Now think about this scene. Like, you have powerlessness speaking to power. How do you think this will go? And as we have seen through the Bible, as we have seen through history... And we still see it in the news today. What does it look like when powerlessness tries to speak up to power? Right? Very rarely does the person in power listen or respond kindly. Twice in a row, Pharaoh, he calls them lazy, idle, slackers. I'm a big fan of the Back to the Future trilogy. Slackers. You guys are slackers. If you guys know that reference. Like, things are not looking good at all. We cannot make all the bricks. We can't do our work. 
we go to work, we get beat. That just slows us down even more. Like, come on. Life is getting really, really bad. Life is getting hard. Things are not looking good. And then the, the Hebrew representatives, they go and they confront Moses and Aaron. They're like, may Yahweh take note of you and judge you because you have made us reek before Pharaoh. You have made us reek before the officials. You've basically put a death sentence upon us. So Moses, Moses then, he goes and prays. He talks to Yahweh. He says, Lord, why have you caused trouble for your people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went in and talked to Pharaoh, I went to speak in your name, but Pharaoh has caused more trouble for us. Excuse me. <coughs> Moses said, you have caused trouble for this people. Moses doesn't identify 100%. With these Hebrew, he he, call, uh, he calls them uh, these people. Okay, God, you're causing trouble for these people. You haven't rescued your people at all. In other words, Moses is like is like this. God, I told you so. I told you this was a bad idea. And so Moses, he's starting to be filled with with doubt here. And have you ever prayed a prayer like this before? You know, God, I've I've come this far for you. I've done everything you have asked. And it just looks like you're absolutely nowhere. I've gotten the degree. I put in the work. And now the industry that you called me to is falling apart. I've climbed the corporate ladder. And then I get laid off. I've been trying to invest in my kids and encourage and encourage them, but they just keep being stubborn and stuck in life. God, where are you? I did my best, and you're not here. Because again, life is messy and mixture. And sometimes our, our stories just, they stack up on top of each other, and it's just like, God, where are you? We doubt. Back to Moses. Great rescue, great rescue operation, Yahweh. Like, <laughs> what's the deal? And so God answers Moses. And now we turn to chapter 6, verse 1. You know what God says? God says, watch me work. Now you will see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And so I just want to pause here. Like, be encouraged that God is moving. And in his timing, he will do what he needs to do. God is and will pursue justice and righteousness. God is active in the life of this world. And therefore, as his people, may we keep seeking him out. Now, Yahweh is not a vending machine or a genie in a bottle. He is a free God. And may we pursue him. May we seek after him. 
There is something about a faith that keeps seeking. Not a restlessness, but expectation. We're not forced, but we have this free will to seek out God. God, you're alive in this world. You are doing stuff. You are still setting up shop. You are still transforming lives. You are still taking care of orphans and widows. You are still showing up. God, where are you? I want to join in. I want to be alive in the life of God, in the life of this world. God, where are you? What you seek lets us know what type of person you are and lets us know the value of what you're searching for. Let's say you lose your wallet and you look all over the place for it. Well, one, that tells you the value of what you lost. And two, it tells you who you are as a person. You're committed to finding this thing. And so what you'll do is that you'll retrace your steps. You'll look for the evidence that will hopefully inform you of where you lost your wallet. Now, comparing God to a lost wallet is a silly, small illustration. But may we be the kind of people who, in the middle of our story, we value God. We value and, and, and seek out God. As it says in Psalm 37, may we commit our ways to Yahweh, trust in Him, and He will act, making righteousness shine like the dawn, justice like the noonday. And so Moses, he's called. Initially things go well, and then things get choppy. And he starts to doubt. He starts to question. In the New Testament, the forerunner of Jesus' ministry, John, John the baptizer, right? Well, John ended up in prison. John, Jesus' cousin, his relative here, he, he did some awesome prophetic work as the forerunner of Jesus, preparing people to get right with God, to soften your heart so you can get right and, and accept Jesus. Like John did some awesome work, but now in prison he's starting to doubt. And he's able to send out a message to Jesus, and he says, you know, yo, Jesus... Are you the one who's actually to come? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus relays a message back. He says, go and report to John what you see and hear. John's perplexed. Is Jesus going to be a political ruler, a king, Jesus Christ superstar, a military hero? Like, like John is starting to question here. And Jesus says, tell John what you see, what you hear. Tell John about what I am doing. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told good news and blessed is the one who isn't offended because of me. Jesus seems to be all about healing people and insisting that it's the poor, it's the meek, it's the overlooked who are blessed. God's kingdom is working, John. God's kingdom is here, John. The kingdom sets up shop in small and insignificant spaces. 
parable of the mustard seed, it starts small and it grows bigger. The kingdom of God is working. Are we seeking that out? And when it seems that hell is frozen over in faith, are we praying and seeking out that God would show up and continue to break into our world, our story? Life is filled with mixture and messiness. Sometimes we look like Moses and Aaron. We might respond to action and know what to do, like Zipporah. might be like Pharaoh. Maybe we're like the believing Hebrews in the morning, but then we're the complaining Hebrews by nighttime. And sometimes we say to God, where are you? Sometimes we say, I told you, God, told you this was a lousy idea. Here's the thing. I'm so thankful That Moses' story doesn't end here. The story doesn't end here. There's more. That's why it is critical that we continue to seek God out. Don't assume that God is done with you, that God is done with your story, that God is done with this church's story. And so today, as we just end here, the call to action is to take in what what you have heard today. Ponder it. Look for the evidence of the kingdom of God in your own life. Look for acts of healing. Go find and hear the good news. Trust that God is in your story. The Bible says you will find God if you seek him with all your heart and with all of your soul.